Good morning. <laughs> Welcome again, and uh, we're so glad to see all of you guys. Thank you, worship team. That was uh, some good worship this morning. Again, uh, if you've got your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and pull them out. Uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 17. We're going to kind of be all over this morning uh, through Scripture, and uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen. Or if you want to take a moment, uh, it'll be in the Source Church app as well. So if you, uh, I heard we ran out of connection guides this morning too. Again, if you download the Source Church app, those are available right in the, connect, or in the uh, app as well. So if you can follow along, take notes, everything. So we are uh, currently in a series right now. We've started last week, but a series called Unlearn. And what we're doing through this series is we're learning to replace some fears with truth. And um, if you're married... Uh, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, we kind of had something a little, little along these lines happen last night. It wasn't quite to the extent that I'm going to talk about now. But, um, uh, you know, if you're not married this morning, you kind of need to know what's coming for you, right? Particularly if you're a guy, okay? And, uh, you know, maybe you've got your eyes on a young lady and you're thinking, man, she might be the one. You kind of need to know what you're getting yourself into. And so, you know, this uh, has happened to me multiple times over the last 15 years or so of marriage. And it kind of goes something like this, right? Where I'm asleep. And uh, my wife will suddenly say something like, honey, honey, I think there's someone in the house, right? Honey, I I heard a noise. And I mean, I'm asleep, right? I mean, Psalms talks about this sleep that God gives those who love him, right? And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm in that sleep. I'm fine. I didn't hear the noise. You know, and the woman, she's the one that sinned in the Garden of Eden. And so it's my opinion that she should be the one to go check on the noises, right? But it doesn't work that way, does it? Right, The guys have to go kind of check out the noises in the middle of the night. You know, it's kind of like this fear that we have. What could be downstairs, right? What could be going on? What is the noise? And it's this ch- kind of tremendous fear that grips us. There's an American horror author from the last century. He's got a great quote about this, and he says this. He says, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. And that's what I want to talk about today, the fear of the unknown. When we talk about the fear of the unknown, we see that it takes on a lot of forms, right? It's the fear of losing control, the fear of being left out, the fear of, you know, what-if scenarios that are beyond your control. It's absolute dread over what might happen, and it becomes more than just a mental obstacle for a lot of people and for all of us at different times. And it's fear that manifests itself in anxiety, Fear that manifests itself in depression. For some people, it becomes like this life of paralysis where you become unwilling to to get outside of your own routine and get outside of your own environment. You know, in a world where knowledge is just more readily available than it has ever been, the idea that things can still creep into our lives beyond our control and beyond our understanding is more terrifying than ever. The fear of the unknown. In Acts chapter 17... The Apostle Paul, he is in Athens, and he's traveling kind of through the world at this time. He's visiting churches, visiting churches that that he had planted, and and just all kinds of folks. And he comes across these folks in Athens, and he comes into the city and spends a little bit of time there. The Bible says that while he's there, that Paul notices something. Paul notices how many idols there are in the city of Athens. Now, there have actually been recent archaeological finds that, 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 that confirm this fact. And so history and archaeology, they back up this account that we find in Acts chapter 17 of this idea that these people had all kinds of gods, right? There was an article that some people used to pray to certain gods in order to cast spells on other people. I mean, these guys had gods for everything in Athens. 
Right? I'm sure that there were gods to, to different things in nature, gods to things in Greek mythology and all kinds of different things. And the Apostle Paul, as he's there, he's kind of he's struck by it. And they also had something else. Okay? They, they, they were smart people. And they believed in part, you know, the, the evidence of their intellect was how many gods that they had discovered. And so you know, they would have a god for every area of their life. And they were so brilliant that they actually made sure that they had covered all of their bases with every other uh, you know, interesting idol. And so the, 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 the Apostle Paul addresses this here in chapter 17. And he says this in verse 22. So pick it up if you've got your Bibles. He says, Then Paul stood up before the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and examined your objects of worship, he says, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship as something unknown, Paul says, I now proclaim to you. And so we're going to keep going, but we're going to just real quick just stop here to understand, I mean, to the unknown God, right? These guys, they felt that because they have this one, right, as smart as they are, they have this, this unknown God just in case, right? They're just, they're covering their bases. And so the Apostle Paul, he takes this opportunity to say, you know what, let me tell you about this God that you do not yet know. Pick it up in verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men to inhabit the whole earth and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God intended that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. Now that's a powerful sermon, right? I mean the Apostle Paul takes so many things that he knows about God and he puts them in four or five lines. Now we don't have time to get into all of that today but I would urge you, Take the opportunity this week, go back, look over these verses, and look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about God. Now, if you weren't here last week, I would also urge you to go back online, listen to last week's message. Because last week we talked about the the fear that trumps all other fears, right? A right fear, a right view of God. Not viewing God as the one who wants to, to strike you down at any time. But having a correct fear, having that awe and reverence for God. And that's what the, the Apostle Paul is trying to instill into these people. Right? He's, he's trying to say, listen, there is something more going on here. And I love how he does that in just like four or five lines in this passage. I mean, Paul describes this big, amazing God who gives life to all. Even if you're, you're here today and you don't know him. Like the people of Athens who didn't know him. Listen, he's the giver of life. He's the giver of breath to all mankind. It's this this huge statement in this message. But then Paul brings it down close, right? Because this big, incredible God wants you to find him. He's designed this entire world with the purpose that, that you would find him. And Paul says, by the way, he's not very far off. Now this idea, we were talking about earlier about covering bases, right? Praying to this unknown God. See, it still happens. In fact, some of you might be doing that today. Here's what a line of thought might sound like to someone who's believing in an unknown God today. You know, maybe you're here, but you don't know him. But you feel like, you know what, I've got everything figured out, right? Everything is going good at home, but just in case I missed anything, occasionally I'll do the church thing. Occasionally I'll do the religion thing, you know, just to cover my bases, just on the outside chance that that maybe I've missed something. 
You may have never referred to him as the unknown God, but maybe you've referred to him as something like the man upstairs. And you say, you know, I'm just here today to make sure that just in case at the end of my life, in case I meet the man upstairs, I'll be able to tell the man upstairs, hey, you know what? I went to your place one day. It's pretty good. The music was okay. And did you see that, you know, by the way, when the baskets came by, I saw something, I put something in there. And so, so we're all squared up, right? Just to make sure that you're covering the bases. But see, God wants so much more than that from us. Right? He's not the God that we worship just to cover our bases. He is a personal, relational God that desires to have a personal relationship with you. He desires dedication. He desires obedience. He desires faith. He desires trust. And he gives us so much more in return. Now when the Apostle Paul gets done explaining Jesus to them, they actually poke a little bit of fun at him, right? Because he's speaking in such simple, plain language. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes this whole approach to communication as a part of his ministry strategy. And he says, look, he says, I just talk about Jesus and I let the Spirit of God do its work. And that's all we're supposed to do too. Right? Too many people try and argue and prove the existence of God. And the problem is that with that is that at some point you're going to run into someone, not with a better argument, but they are a better arguer. Right? Running into someone that is a, a better arguer can lead to doubt and can feed the lie that there's just a lot of different ways to truth. And I think for a lot of people, we have this kind of experience in high school, or maybe even in college, right, where we feel like we're supposed to be so much smarter than the people that we're arguing with. But we don't have to be. You know, maybe some of you have had this happen to you as an adult, and at some point it's just made you feel stupid, and as a result of that, you don't cling to the truth of Jesus Christ as tightly as you did when you were younger. You're not living out that same passion, the same conviction So many times our neighbors look at our lives as Christ followers and they say, listen, man, they're not really convinced that it is absolute truth. Then what do we care about it? It looks like these people are just kind of covering their bases. And see, the result is that the way that we live our lives is no different than the people around us who are looking at us to see if there's something more to this faith in Jesus Christ. See, the problem in our culture is not just the the cult of Oprah or or, uh, Deepak Chopra or universalism. The problem is timid Christianity. Timid Christians who don't look any different because they're afraid of losing an argument. Listen, our hope is not built on winning an argument. Our hope is built on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And on a faith that says God always keeps his promises and will continue to do so. See, it's actually a lack of a relationship with God and a lack of the the resulting knowledge of God that causes us to fear the unknown. So we have to replace the fear of the unknown with a trust in the God who knows everything. So what do we need to know about God in order to overcome the fear of the unknown? What we're going to do here, we're going to give you a bunch of scriptures over the next few minutes. You can, you can write them down. You can follow along with them in your connection guide or in the app. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures here. First one is this, Hebrews 4.13, and it says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Psalm 147.5, he says, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. See, our God, he sees it all. He knows it all, right? There is nothing or no one outside of the view of the knowledge of God. The term that we use for that is omniscience. And it means that God is all-knowing. It means that he has never had to learn anything because that would mean that at some point he didn't know everything. But nothing takes him by surprise, right? No circumstance, no tragedy, 
No new discovery of man, nothing that goes bump in the night. I mean, it's just an awe-inspiring part of God's character. So what that means is that, you know, when you don't know what's waiting for you on the other side of the door, when you don't know what's causing that noise and you're paralyzed by fear, maybe it's the, the fear of change or something else, you can know a God who knows it all and a God who has promised to stand by your side through it all. <clears throat> now, he not only knows it all, right? He's not only great, he's not only big, but he knows you. In the book of Jeremiah, <clears throat> God tells the prophet, he says, you know what, before you were born, before you were even in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. And see, that's true of all of us. Psalm 139, King David, he says this. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you understand my thoughts from afar. He says, you search out my path and my lying down. You are aware of all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, he says, you know all about it, O Lord. Bill Bright said that there's not a thought in your mind or a motive in your heart that God does not know. Before you even speak the prayer, listen, he knows it. Before you even have the thought, he knows it. He is an all-powerful, all-knowing God. He knows it all. He knows you. He knows all of it. He knows about your past. He knows about the things that you think you're hiding. Maybe things you think you're hiding from everyone else. Listen, he knows it all. So how does God feel about those things? Well, Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I... Yes, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Psalm 103 tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them, God says, will find mercy. I've talked with so many people over the years who've said, man, you don't know what I have done. Right? You don't know how bad it is. You don't know how dark it is. They feel like you know, they're holding on to these, these secrets, these hurts, these habits, these hangs up, these, these addictions, you know, what, whatever it is, how someone has hurt them or how they've hurt someone else. They have all this stuff built up inside of them and they think that if they just don't let it out, then God doesn't know. But he knows it. And his word says that he forgives us when we confess all those things to him. That's, that's, you know, the act of confession is what God wants from us, right? We don't have to be afraid to entrust any circumstances to him. Even our darkest secrets and our failures that are unknown to others, God is waiting to be gracious. He's waiting to show mercy. He's on your side. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because Psalm 118.6 says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear What can man do to me? See, the Lord is on your side. He is greater than any circumstance. He is greater than any sin. He's greater than anything you might face. In fact, Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Psalm 56.3 goes like this, When I'm afraid, I will trust you. It's as simple as that. When I'm afraid, I will trust you. See, he's greater than any sickness. He's greater than any disease, greater than any hardship or sorrow. And the greatest thing you can do to combat the fear of the unknown is to diligently pursue a relationship with a God who is all of these things and knows you most. Look, you don't have to get to a certain threshold of knowledge. And God doesn't require a great faith. He just requires what Jesus described as a mustard seed faith. That's all it takes. Bishop N.T. Wright says this. He says, it's not great faith we need. It's faith in a great God. 
Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I distinguish the end from the beginning and the ancient times from what is still to come, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Pastor Joseph Stoll says, Never be afraid to entrust a future to an all-knowing God. And I would say it this way, never be afraid to entrust the unknown to a God who knows it all. Never be afraid to entrust the unknown to a God who knows it all. Listen, the fear of the unknown or even the fear of something becoming known can absolutely paralyze you. The fear of what could happen can stagnate your life. It can send you backwards, even back into old habits and and old relationships that are not God's best for you. But you feel like going back to those things because it's safe, right? At least you know what level of pain you're going to be dealing with. It's kind of a strange trap how we get ourselves, you know, we get ourselves in with, with a familiar. But then familiar can be fatal. Familiar can be fatal to a life of faith. There's a story about an Arab chief who has a spy captured. And he's got this spy captured and he sentenced him, sentenced him to death by a Persian army and then, The general's got this strange custom of giving condemned criminals a choice between the firing squad and the big black door. And as the the moment of execution drew near, guards brought the spy to the Persian general. And what will it be, asked the general, the firing squad or the big black door? Now the spy that they had captured hesitated for a very long time, put a lot of thought into it. Finally, he chose the firing squad. A few minutes later, shots rang out that confirmed the spy's execution. And the general turned to his aide and he said, they always prefer the known to the unknown. People fear what they don't know, yet we, give him a ch- we gave him a choice. Well, what lies beyond the big black door, the aide said. Freedom, replied the general. And I've only known a few brave enough to take that door. See, the fear of the unknown can trap you. The fear of the unknown can paralyze you. It can, it, can, it can squelch you ultimately. It can crush you. But embracing a personal, relational walk with the God who knows it all, listen, can ignite in a life of faith and propel that forward with a courage and a confidence that you've never known. Author F.B. Myers gives this thought on it. He says this. He says, what is true of the natural qualities of the soul is preeminently true of faith. He says, so long as we are quietly at rest amid favorable and undisturbed surroundings, faith sleeps and is undeveloped within us. But when we are pushed out from those surroundings with nothing but God to look to, then faith grows suddenly into a master principle of life. He says, as long as the bird lingers by the nest, it will not know the luxury of flight. As long as the trembling boy holds to the bank or toes to the bottom, he will not learn the ecstasy of battling with an ocean wave. Listen, we can find adventure in what seems like the simplest of unknown places when we're willing to follow God in obedience. We can find adventure in the simplest of places. I mean, I've seen people over the life of this church and in my past ministry, people serving in this church, right? Whether greeting people in the door, working in kids ministry or youth ministry, just simple things. But I've seen people who've signed up for these things and they're, they're, they're afraid, right? Fear of what might happen to them, the fear of putting themselves out there. How will people respond? The fear of being part of something that feels so much larger and is so much larger than each of us individually. The fear of being maybe part of a journey group or a small group. 
Right? It's the fear of walking into a group of people and fearing that maybe I don't know enough. Maybe I won't measure up. It's the fear of the unknown. It's also the fear of maybe someone might discover something about you. Might even discover some of your own inadequacies, whatever, whatever it might be. But see, it's also that same fear that prevents us from showing God's kindness to a friend in need. Or talking about God with a neighbor or a coworker or someone across the street. What might they think of you? What if they ask me a question? I don't know what will happen in this moment. See, we have a tendency to find great security in the not doing. I love the story of Moses in the Old Testament. And you probably know the story of Moses where, where he talks about the burning bush, right? How many of you have read Exodus chapter 3 or saw the movie, right? Charlton Heston, all that good stuff. Well, in rabbinical circles, they talk about Moses as a man who's basically in a rut, I mean, at this point in Moses' life, he's been a shepherd for about 40 years. All he's known for the last 40 years is sheep, right? And rabbis love asking questions like, well, how many days did Moses walk by the bush before he, he deviated enough to find out what was going on? Now, it didn't look like that in the movie, right? It just kind of looked like this, this bush burst into flames and it wasn't burning, so Moses went and checked it out. Maybe that's what he did. But in some circles, they ask questions like, how long had the bush been burning, Finally, the moment comes in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses says, okay, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to the side. I'm going to go look at this thing. I'm going to stop walking on my normal path to go see this incredible sight. And so when he does that, God speaks to him. God tells me, he says, Moses, you know what, this is holy ground. Take your sandals off, Moses. And Moses gets this incredible introduction to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the I am This is the first time that this name of God is used in Scripture. It means the the self-existent, always constant one. And then in Exodus chapter 4, the conversation just takes a little turn. And you've probably read through this before or seen this before, but I want you to, to see these verses and then pause on what you know about the rest of the story. Exodus chapter 4 verse 2 says this, Then Moses answered, What if they refuse to believe me? Or listen to my voice. For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord asked him, Moses, what is in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, said the Lord. So Moses threw it on the ground. Now, just stop right there. That staff, it's a shepherd's staff. You say, well, that, kind, that sounds kind of simple, right? But you need to understand that staff is everything to the shepherd. That staff is his identity, That staff is his security. It's used for his protection. It's his vocation. It's how he made a living. Throw it down, God says to Moses. What if Moses had never thrown down the staff? It's in that moment that the signs and wonders begin that would ultimately lead Moses to partnering with God and leading the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt because Moses was willing to lay down the familiar for something that he could not yet have begun to understand. Now some 1,500 years later, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew. Jesus says to them, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They're fishermen. It's what they know, right? It's what they, it's what they do. It's, it's how they provide. What if Simon Peter had never dropped the net? A few moments later, in Mark's depiction, there are James and and John, the sons of thunder, right? What a great nickname. I never had a nickname like that growing up. You can probably tell, right? 
But James and John, they're fishermen. They're fishing with their dad. This is their family business. Follow me, Jesus says. They leave old dad and the boat and follow Jesus. What if they hadn't? What if the good things you were doing in your life, even the things that you're doing for God are the very things he's asking you right now to let go of? And there's nothing wrong with doing those good things as long as you're willing to put them down for the sake of what God might want you to do. What if Moses had never turned to look? What if the guys had never stopped fishing? I mean, think of the, think of the stories. Think of the, the experiences, the relationships that they all would have missed out on. They would have never known the experience of truly walking with God. They would only know what they had been taught. Too many people who are followers of Jesus truly are dealing with an unknown God because they have been unwilling to follow him even in simple moments of obedience and trust. But you discover the greatest knowns, the greatest constants about God when you are willing to step out into the unknown. And it's when you step out in faith to follow God into the unknown that you find how how great he is, how good he is that he is always sovereign, that his love is unconditional and that it endures forever and never fails, that his faithfulness is always everlasting, that he delivers on his promises and that he is always present. You discover the greatest knowns about God when you trust him with all of the unknowns. And you'll never be disappointed when you exchange the fear of the unknown for the God who knows it all. You'll never be disappointed. So what are you afraid of this morning? What are you afraid of? Is there something so simple that God wants you this morning to trust him with? The simplest of things can lead to the greatest of adventures with faith in God. Some of you this morning, you're absolutely paralyzed. And you have been for a long time by fear or anxiety or depression. Some of you have even gone back into old habits because it's what you know. The freedom is too scary. I feel like This psalm covers this so well. And so I want to close with it this morning. It's Psalm 91. I believe it's what God wanted me to read to close this this time with you this morning. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase paraphrase version. And here's what it says. It says, You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow, say this, God, you are my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right, he rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge, outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. He says, fear nothing. Not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched, watch it all from a distance, watch the wicked turn into corpses, yes, because God's your refuge. The high God, your very home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. He says, if you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, 
I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll get you the best care. If you'll only get to know and trust me, call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life and give you a drink of salvation. You will never be disappointed when you exchange the fear of the unknown with a God who knows it all. He's got you every time. I want you to bow your heads with me. God, we just come before you. Father, we know that there are many people in here today, God, that are dealing with the fear of the unknown. Father, the fear of what ifs. The fear of not knowing what's that, that next step in life, what that looks like, God. And it's become a fear that has paralyzed them, God, or made them stagnant in their walk with you and in their faith. Father, I just pray that they would realize, Father, that we don't have to fear the unknown because we serve a God who knows it all and a God who's promised to be there with us through everything that we face, that nothing is too big for you. God, I also know that there are some in this room that have come in here today that don't know you. Maybe in their life they've been trying to cover the bases and, and worshiping or you know they have that idol of the, 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 the unknown God. The God that they don't know, just trying to cover bases, maybe occasionally doing the, the church thing, doing the religion thing, just in case maybe they miss something in their life. So that in hopes of when they get to heaven that you might recognize them and they would have their bases covered. But God, we know that's not what you want. God, you don't want us to serve you in that way. You want all of us, each of us. If you've come in here today, maybe that's where you are in your walk. You've not known God or you've just been living for him, trying to cover the bases or whatever that looks like. And you want to make that change today. So how do I do that? Look, you've just got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Lord and Savior. You do that by praying something like this in your heart and just say, God, I come before you today. God, I've been living not knowing you. I've not been living for you. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And it's that sin that separates me from you. So I just come before you now, God, and I confess that. I repent of it. I turn. I want to go a completely different direction, God. Instead of running from you, now I want to run to you. I believe, Jesus, you came to do for me what I could never do on my own. That though you came and lived a sinless life, You took the punishment of sin for me. You went to the cross for me. And then three days later, you rose from the dead, finally conquering sin and conquering death once and for all. And at this very moment, I want to put all of my faith and all of my trust in you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. Look, if you're here today with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, I'd ask that you take a connection card that is sitting near you Fill out the information. Check off today. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Take it back to the Connection Center after the service. We want to connect with you. We want to to come alongside of you and celebrate with you. Explain to you the next steps of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And again, God, for the rest of us, Father, let us rest in the fact that we are loved by and serve a God who knows all 
can be everywhere at all times. Promises to be there for us, no matter what we face in life. God, we love you. Father, we praise you and we give you all the glory and all the honor. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.